two of our regional TDs with us in studio this morning for this week's Friday panel. We know how busy TDs are and it's good once in a while, I think, to catch up with them in person uh, to hear their views on the relevant topics, which is what we'll do between now and 11 o'clock. So I'd like to welcome to studio um, Deputies Frank Feehan and Mark McSharry. Uh, Deputy Feehan, of course, uh, Junior Government Minister until the uh, reshuffle, government reshuffle in December last. Um, and Deputy McSharry, now an independent TD, having resigned from the Fianna Fáil party in the latter half of last year. Welcome to you both and thanks for joining us. And I can tell you there's lots and lots and lots of questions coming in on all sorts of issues. Uh, general issues, national issues, very, very local issues as well. Um, but we might start with the Pascal Donoghue controversy and I suppose slash Sinn Féin controversy in relation to election expenses. Is it all done and dusted now, Frank Féin, do you think, and forgotten about and time to move on? I think it or, is. Um, I think, uh, as Minister Donoghue said, it was minor mistake. Uh, uh, Minister Donoghue and Ireland were involved in the campaign, paid the people concerned, in order was awareness at the time, and it had been paid. And um, for that reason, no cost for tribute to the sport and election expenses. But effectively, there was a lot of fake outrage. It was designed to damage Pascal, Pascal Donoghue, who is an exceptional public servant. And, and you think it, that's what it was, fake, um, fake outrage? And also it, it went, it was designed to undermine the government and it's been a very, very difficult time. Uh, but, you know, politicians and uh, that the, the standards are there and we have to adhere by the standards and we have to ensure that um, that we pay a lot more attention to either, even the finer detail, even if it is 240 euros yeah. over, uh, we need to pay attention to those finer details. And is it, is, it, is it tough to do that when you're in, in the teeth of an election campaign and there's so much going on? Is, is it hard to keep tabs Well, it is, on, and you have your, your party and, and the organisation are very, very formidable and, and they're very professional, but, you know, if somebody comes in and offers to put up posters for your... And I think, as people will attest, you know, election campaigns ca- can be fraught with difficulties and uh, a lot of tension, but also a lot of people offering to help and... Now, if you have to put a cost on that or if somebody decides to pay somebody else, these things are going to be very, very difficult. But they have to be done if this is uh, the, the regulations have to be uh, seen to. But um, it has been, it is difficult. And um, But uh, again, um, uh, it, uh, I just want to say that Pascal mm. Donough has been a wonderful Minister of Finance and um, uh, he's represented us extremely well in Europe and I think this is there to damage and bring down the reputation yeah. of Pascal So, so it was nev- never a resignation issue from what from what you heard, from the details he provided, you don't think it was a resignation issue? No, but in but, politics, if people put out inert enough, throw enough dirt, sometimes it sticks and um, it was there to destabilise Pascal O'Donoghue and more than likely uh, also to undermine the government and um, I think Sinn Féin realised that um, they uh, live in glass houses and um, their accounting wasn't that, that good either and uh, hence they haven't put in uh, uh, for a vote of confidence mm. in Pascal Donoghue. Um, yeah. Well, this person know. says, yeah, it's all done and dusted, you say, Niall, only because Sinn Féin got caught out and um, it's it's now been revealed since that, that Sinn Féin has uncovered a total of five separate expenses worth over €2,000, which should have been included in their declaration to SIPO after the 2016 uh, general election. Mark McSherry, what do you make of it? Did, did you, I think... Did, um, there needs to be, and I said it several years ago when, when, when Leo Varadkar and the leak issue came up from Cabinet, that um, 
there needs to be a book of quantum developed with the full spectrum of misdemeanours from the benign to the serious and a mm. corresponding list of sanctions from rap on the knuckles to impeachment. Yeah. Uh, it needs to apply to TDs, senators, councillors, the judiciary, uh, secretaries general, agency chiefs and, and, and semi-state bodies. Until we have that, we cannot have one rule for the nice guys. Um, you know, uh, if it were me, yeah, uh, the guillotine would have been up within an hour, my head taken off and my remains dissolved in lime. So you can't have a rule be- be- for because, the whole... Because of your reputation, is no, it? No, it's your... not about reputation. It's about... Um, and, and in media, actually, as well. There yeah. was a palpable effort to... I mean, Anya Lawler, a difficult interviewer I've often been on with her. We're only talking about a couple of hundred euros here. Mm-hmm. So I don't really care that it's like... Pascal is a gentleman, no doubt about that, and clearly a very capable minister. Um, or whether it's Sinn Féin or Fianna Fáil or myself or Frankie or anybody else. Yeah. You know, we cannot have double standards being applied. And they are. I mean, we know, and, and that as was I said before, that was, that it, when it comes to Michal Martin, the tarnished due yeah. process is something is a concept for Fine Gael, certainly not others, you know. Okay, so that was to his advantage, the fact that he is seen as a, a nice guy and... Uh, no doubt about it. But he is a nice guy. But yeah. the rules are the rules. And unfortunately, now, it's not over. It's going to sip on now. And you'll hear yeah. more about it down the line. But I, I suppose it's gone into the rearview mirror in terms of clogging up the day-to-day in, in the Okay, and the scale you talk about of, of misdemeanours in inverted commas, would this be on the lower end of the scale, do you think? Uh, I'd say it would have been, mm-hmm. uh, and there are other ones. I mean, uh, you know, Frankie mentioned the good job that he does in terms of projecting himself in Europe. Okay, that's yeah. fine, I agree with that. Phil Hogan had the biggest job any Irishman ever had in a European context at a critical time. He was yep. the trade commissioner at a time we were concluding Brexit negotiations. Yep. Uh, and there was a stampede by those same, same people that are demanding due process for Pascal to throw him under the bus. Mm. And uh, in a Fianna Fáil context, we had that with me. You know, we had it with Caleri, we had it with Cowan, we had it with others. Now, uh, so we, we either take a consistent approach to these things, and I agree not everything. Like Our only outlet at the moment is to call for somebody's head. And that's just not practical, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, some things are rap on the knuckle. Some things may well be impeachment. But uh, uh, but, 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 but this isn't one of them. And that's not a defence of, of, or a condoning of, of wrongdoing here. You know, there is a practice... Uh, I think it's a predominantly Dublin one where people get paid to put up posters. Yep. Uh, I think, you know, here in, 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 in constituencies like our one, I mean, there are volunteers in everybody's organisation who are can't wait to get out putting up your posters or whatever. And you might contribute towards the cost of their fuel or their dinner or stuff like that. But look, they're involved and enjoy, I suppose, an element of, of the activity and, and uh, uh, buzz around uh, electioneering and so on. Um, there's lots and lots of questions coming in already before before we even get into any form of discussion, Geraldine asks the question, uh, Niall, can you please ask your deputies this morning if they could bring their buddies on a road trip to Sligo Hospital to see for themselves exactly how bad things are? It's like something from a third world country and absolutely unacceptable the way the citizens of the Northwest are being treated. It was bad enough when you couldn't get a bed, but now you can't even get a sheet in the bed if you get a bed in the first place. You're, uh, how do you respond to that, Um Frank, as a, as a more recent junior minister for health, uh, and there's lots. Of, and again, there's someone else wanting to you to comment on a text we got from a young student. Well, she's not a student; she's a, a nurse from Sligo now working in Glasgow Hospital because the conditions at in hospitals here were intolerable, and she's has a better life. And 
um, her, her education, she did a PLC course, she wasn't, didn't have the points for nursing and she's happy enough in Scotland, losing out in talent like that. Well, first of all, the conditions at the hospital. Well, I'm very familiar with conditions in the hospital and I meet the management and lots of stakeholders. Uh, there's a lot of good things happening at the hospital. But, you know, there's been an unprecedented um, between the COVID-19 pandemic and flu, uh, uh, outbreak of the flu. And indeed, I ended up uh, in uh, D&E and in, in uh, Sligo Hospital uh, before the Christmas for four nights. Uh, I had pneumonia and I, I saw firsthand uh, the pressures that the nurses and the staff and had to go through and I just want to say how thankful I was um, for the really incredible work that they've done and uh, and and they are doing mm. and uh, it is a hugely highly pressurised situation unless we can get more staff unless yeah. we can but get does, does, does your own personal experience does that not even make you more determined to try and change the situation of course and it does and, and you know um, in the Department of Health we are giving over 22 billion uh, to the HSE to provide uh, um, for the running services of of the, of health and um, uh, but there are challenges and um, there's a lot of good things happening in the hospital. We have the 42 bed block and the way we have the cardiac services. We have the four ICU beds which have been agreed upon and there's a lot of other exciting primary care centres in in in, yeah. in, in 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 areas around Sligo and Leitrim. Yeah, but, 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 but we also off. have but, but, average waiting times of seven and a half hours in. Emergency department. Yeah, and that's what the primary care centres are. But it, it, this is unprecedented, and it's 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 hugely uh, traumatic to everybody involved. And um, you hope that um, that we can come to a better resolution. But it's not for want of of work. It's not for want of money. It's not for want of trying. And I just again want to pay a tribute to the nurses, the doctors, to all the staff in the hospital uh, who have worked so so hard. Uh, through the last two or three years and that's just not in the hospital that's all over the country in the frontline services but they don't even have bed sheets Mark McSharry as we know at the moment or adequate supplies of linen now we're told that has changed since Wednesday but that alone seems to have really angry people in the past few days yeah if I could start just in relation to that because I was on with you to do with this issue earlier and mm. I have a couple of things to say the first thing is in, 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 in highlighting the issue and the fact that there was a breakdown and whatever on the 28th of December as we were told uh, it may have implied that in some way this was the fault of the people working in the laundry there's about 20 to 25 of them I know they've worked exceptionally hard and continue to do so since a temporary solution has been put in place uh, in terms of a mobile boiler uh, the main issue uh, that broke on the 28th of December remains. The people in there are working very hard, but as is often the case with, with some things HSE, things are very slow. I mean, if it was a, a private company that main machinery uh, broke on the 28th of December, I can guarantee you by the 6th of January they've been up and running, whether the machine had to come from China or America or wherever else, right? So that's one thing. I know they're working very hard uh, in difficult circumstances down there uh, and in trying to get the backlog true so we do have adequate supplies however the supply generally predates uh, the breakdown again yeah. it's not the fault of the laundry it's the fault of the numbers of supplies so mm -hmm. whether they don't have adequate storage you know to have more than enough linen or more than enough towels is not a big ask as Frankie said with 22 billion being spent but the most worrying thing is this without even telling the staff in the laundry the HSE have moved to privatise this and in mid-March the laundry will close in Sligo. The contract is going to a company, don't ask me how to pronounce it, Ailish, it sounds like E-I-L-I-S in Dublin. 
And that's where all will be done for all the residential settings here in this part of the country, whether it's SUH, whether it's St John's, whether it's Houses, whether it's Nazareth or whatever. Now, that's obviously a major policy decision. Yeah. And it would seem to me in a uh, regional growth centre with acute hospitals, with a lot of residential spaces and a lot of houses in the community requiring linen and laundry. We should not be looking to centralise this in Dublin. In fact, I also know that it's quite likely that this will cost a lot more on an annual basis than it was to do it here locally. And it's down to, there's clearly somebody to blame. This morning I got, you saw, because I gave you the letter that I had followed up with with additional questions yesterday to Mm -hmm. them. Uh, SUH kindly came back this morning and said, SUH are not responsible for the governance of the laundry and recommended that I contacted CHO1's management. That's our regional bosses in Monaghan, which I did anyway. I have yet to get a response. So there are issues uh, uh, around um, what policy we're following, what policy we're implementing. Uh, And, uh, you know, if we are, you know, intent on pulling our health service apart, including right down to the laundry to privatise it, you know, I'm not sure. That's the correct way forward, and I think we need a broader debate on it. On the other issues, in terms of, um, you know, the lack of ICU beds is what it all comes back to, as Fergal Hickey has told consecutive governments ad nauseum for 25 years. Uh, Okay, we're beginning to look at that. We've increased by 1,000 beds. And the other thing is staff. There are morale issues. Uh, I made the point that in the United States, pay scales lean towards frontline professionals, not administrators. It's the opposite here, and perhaps that's something we should visit as well. Okay, throwing money uh, at this uh, problem won't solve the collapse of our HSE. The system is simply broken because our nurses and doctors are all overseas in Australia and Canada. Stop taxing our children out of the country, says this person. Um, Mark McSharry and Frank Fehan both voted against paying student nurses. That's why nurses are leaving Ireland, Mm. uh, says this person. Uh, Is that the case or not? I don't know. I remember raising the fact that they needed yeah. additional expenses. I don't recall the particular vote that they're talking about. No, nor do I. Maybe our listener could clarify that. Right, lots of, of issues to get through. We'll get through as many as uh, as we can. The um, accommodation for refugees uh, situation, which is causing a lot of comment on our show and probably amongst your constituents and at your, your clinics as well. Um, and, and this... Um, us versus them scenario which seems to be creeping into society lately why are the stops being pulled out for refugees when we aren't looking after our own in some cases and I have to say um, we were talking yesterday about the 50 million euro allocation made by the Green Party Minister for local facilities, refurbishments and upgrading of transport infrastructure um, to allow for the support of Ukrainian refugees. There was a lot of anger about that, Frank Fee, and I can tell you. Well, first uh, of people all... People saying, well, why couldn't they have had the money anyway? Ireland has accommodated more than 73,000 people from the Ukraine, and this is uh, these are obligations. But I just want to make one point clear. Ukrainians do not qualify for social housing. So if anybody is complaining that they can't get a social house, it isn't because... Ukrainians are taking their social housing is because they're in different settings but that that doesn't but it certainly doesn't uh, it doesn't help the overall situation uh, effectively this uh, 50 million was allocated um, because I've been to Bundoran I've been to uh, um, Drumshambo I've been to Ross's Point and many other places and they're very very concerned that um, the, the communities are and they are stepping up to the plate and they are providing resources but they are concerned that um, that maybe around the country it's not the same 
But uh, your, uh, Sligo is getting 2.2 million. That's for local communities, um, maybe for buses, for uh, local community clubs. It's, it's really just a, a gesture of goodwill. And 2.2 million to Sligo, 1.5 million, uh, sorry, 2.2 million to Leitrim, 1.5 million to Sligo, and 3.1 million Donegal. It's just a gesture of goodwill that helps those communities who are stepping up uh, uh, to the plate uh, to yeah. support. Uh, but but, but you, you see, with the point we're making, why, why could that goodwill not have been uh, issued a year ago or two years ago? Uh, because a lot of these facilities do need funding. Why does it take the arrival of refugees to prompt the government to allocate? Well, I think there's unprecedented um, funding coming from this government for sports grants, for uh, various town renewal grants, urban renewal grants. Uh, you know, if you look at all the funding that's coming from central government, I don't think there's any community around there would, would say that not enough is coming. But again, this is targeted at those communities uh, that have, as I said, stepped up to the plate uh, in protecting um, 73,000 people who, um, who who have fled here uh, yeah. from the, uh, that terrible war in Ukraine. Okay. And it's a, it's a gesture of goodwill and, and on top of everything else. And as a member of the government party and most recently a junior government minister, can you explain to people, it, it is what it is. We have to accept the refugees in the numbers that we are accepting them. There's no option to this, is there? Well, when you have six or seven million, mostly women and children, leaving uh, war-torn Ukraine, um, you have, I think, three or four million in Poland. Um, you know, in Ireland, we have 73,000. Uh, this is unprecedented. We've never seen these challenges. And again, the, 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 the services and the people of Ireland have stepped up to the plate and they've provided an open door to people who are in very, very difficult circumstances. And I hope, you know, in the coming weeks and months that, uh, that this terrible war um, will, will, will resolve itself and these people, um, and we're very, very welcome in Ireland, uh, will we'll see an opportunity to return home. A lot won't. A lot may stay in mm. Ireland because they see huge opportunities there and we're very, very thankful and very fortunate to have to have them as well. OK, we had uh, an event, as it was described in Bundoran a couple of weeks ago, in relation to concerns that locals had over the uh, lack of facilities, appropriate facilities for refugees in that town. And we understand there is a, a meeting to be held in Ross's Point next week in relation to more or less the same issue. Where, where do you stand on this, Mark? Yeah, look, I'll certainly attend those meetings and I was at the one in... in, in um <clears throat> in Bundoran. There are two issues. The first one for me is this, and I was critical at the very beginning of this process. There is no question and no comparison to the efforts that we were prepared and have made for facilitating people running for their lives from the war and those people who were homeless in our own country in mm. terms of the crisis. The money is no object, can do attitude, has not been the same uh, for our own homegrown crisis as it has been uh, post-Ukrainian war outbreak. That is a fact. The second thing is, it's a national policy failure uh, to use all your tourism accommodation. I've made this point uh, already. Yes, there are European obligations on us as a country, but we cannot blindly sit back and acknowledge those while denying our own capacity issues. To quote the Taoiseach yesterday, it's not about a lack of compassion, it's about a lack of capacity. And mm. as a percentage of our population, uh, we have taken 1.4%, right? That's 73,000 or thereabouts, as Frankie has said. Denmark, much closer, yeah, 0.67%. Belgium, 
0.55%, Holland 0.48%, France, who granted have their own issues with Mediterranean, uh, with their proximity to the Mediterranean and the crisis there, 0.19%. So for some reason, we are the most popular place, relatively speaking. We are the, the seventh highest of the EU27. The six above us are all those countries in proximity, Poland and so on. And there's a reason for that. So there's no, uh, in, in, in an answer from the Minister for Justice on this week, I said, look, is there any centralised organisation, for example, of what destinations that we facilitate people at? And there's not. Mm. It is down to the individuals. Now, I have other questions in at the so moment. So they have a choice where to come. And are you they suggest- do have a choice. Are you suggesting then that Ireland is one of the more attractive places? There's no doubt about it. To come, and I mean, I, I don't because really want the to level use... of supports that you receive in Ireland are exponentially higher than they are in other member states. So there needs to be a level of centralisation. Of mm. course, we want to continue to be the welcoming nation we are. Of course, we want to do our best to help people. However, there is a national policy failing and a national policy communications failing where people are, and you alluded to this earlier, you know, people. This is the most talked about issue in Ireland at the yeah. moment, but everybody is afraid to say anything yeah, well, out loud it's, it's for fear of it uh, certainly is on, on this show and has been for the, the past few weeks. But, but bearing in mind what you say, you can see then where problems might arise and where people can get very angry. And what I'm trying to say is the attitude we have towards our refugees and the Ukrainian situation is a lot different now in January 2024 than it was back last April. Of course it is. Mm. I, I think, uh, you know, what I have seen in those areas, uh, especially tourist areas such as Ross's Point and Bundorn, and, um, they are concerned that, uh, you know, when the tourist season hap- starts around Easter, that the, the hotels will not be. And, and I know government is working very closely with all the stakeholders mm. uh, to try to alleviate that. But, you know, we've, we, 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 we've had waves of... of uh, refugees, because war is unfortunately you have the war in Syria, where I think you alluded to it, uh, uh, Mark. That um, they, they a lot went to Germany, uh, went to uh, Southern Europe, and uh, a lot now of Ukrainians are, are coming to Ireland. And um, I know that they've they've got a great welcome in Ireland, but there are there are issues, and um, of course you'll have issues. Um, but um, I think uh, across all sectors and um, and the people of Ireland. Um, uh, along with, uh, with with government, will ensure that um, we try to iron out any difficulties that's there. But um, we are at war. I I, I don't. No, think people, we are I, not at war. No. I, I know. I we think, are not I, at war. I think I think people don't fully realise it is that we are part of the European Union. Yeah, but that the is, European that, that, Union that is, is also not at that, war. That, that is what. But uh, de facto. No, this is de facto, this, this is me or fa- Martin speak. No, I'm sorry, no. Frankie. We are can, not at can war. I, can of I just course, finish? we're happy to help people can, can just, in the same way as we took can, Vietnamese people in the 1970s. Can I? Can I finish? But, but we are okay. not at war. All right. Okay. If, if you just, mind, yeah. Just, just finish, finish your that, point, and we'll, we'll that, bring uh, Putin and Russia, which is not a democracy, has invaded Ukraine, which is part of Europe. And if he gets through Ukraine, it goes into it goes into Poland, Moldova. Uh, and uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Latvia and Estonia. We are very, very close and this is war, unfortunately, and Ireland is at war, uh, along with Europe, with Russia. And, and, and um, it's a v- I've never thought that we'd be in this situation. Um, and, uh, and my thoughts goes to those soldiers and, and, and those refugees whose husbands and brothers and sons are fighting 
uh, on both sides, uh, Russia and Ukraine, and dying uh, in uh, the fields in Ukraine, defending, to me, democracy, defending European values, defending uh, the values of the free world. All right, you want to respond to that? I think that we need to stand up. Mark Masharian, we'll move on to another question. Just a final point. On the tourism Mm. thing, and you heard it with the Tornister last week when I raised it, there are no plans to compensate businesses, for example. You take the surf schools or the activity providers here in the northwest of the country, or the interdependent businesses. For every euro that's spent on accommodation, Two to three euro, these are false Ireland figures, two to three euro are spent in interdependent businesses. Now that's going to be an issue. And if the government are planning in the depths of winter to facilitate some sort of supports for those, then that's going to be the problem when we're sitting here in July. One other thing, we are not at war. Okay? Mm. We have a triple lock system on the United Nations. We are not at war. And while I am a committed European in many ways, I didn't sign up to anything to put us into the war, nor did the Irish people. Of course we want to help when there's a humanitarian crisis or a refugee crisis. We are not at war, we're not going to war, and I would much prefer Ireland to play their traditional role in calling for the peace, even offering to be mediators at this late stage. I'm not a fan of Russia any more than Frankie or anybody else, and don't like anybody uh, invading countries. But at any one time. There's probably about 10 countries invaded by another country and depending on whether they're supported by the United States or the Europe or whatever we're expected to inherit a view that we ourselves have not taken and that is not acceptable in a diplomatic Irish Republic. Uh, Marcus Marcus summed up we have a triple lock system we don't get military involved but we do get involved in, in, in in helping out in other ways in aid and we are Stepping up to the plate—that's the word I use in 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 providing. In providing. No, I, 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 you no, said we were at war. We're not. I, 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 you take me out of context there. No, we, that's we, what you said twice. No. I said we're stepping up to the plate no, in providing. In, provi- in providing. In providing. Okay. All right. Assistance. Okay. All right. To yeah. people who are desperately in need, and that is the Ireland that I. I want to represent... All right, OK. All, all, that all, all, all sorts of issues. Housing, ramps, respite, uh, cares, uh, nurses, parents' contributions to school, for all sorts of issues being thrown the way uh, of the TDs this morning. I want to ask you about the the personal security. Is, you're getting 5,000. You've been offered 5,000 euro apiece. Is that right? Is TDs to beef up your security? Is, is, do you know much about this... Frank, I don't right? know much of that. I know in my office we have uh, cameras and we have systems and in my house if systems. Uh, I've been here before. Um, uh, politicians, um, they get threatened. And, um, do, you, do you get threatened? Well, not, not in, certainly not in Sligo or Leitrim. Um, but I, I, I came through a very difficult time when um, the Roscommon A&E yep. issue was, I was there and um, you had a lot of, I won't say nonsense, but I'm glad that I stood by the government and... Um, We've delivered um, a hospital which is twice as big, twice as busy, and an air ambulance, and 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 there's hundreds of people alive today, and people realise that now. Um, but it was a very difficult time being yeah. a lone voice, and it was a difficult time because Ireland was in the country was in. Uh, economic were, were, you, were you physically threatened during that time? Absolutely, absolutely. I left my house. I don't think many people realise that. I'd be going home at half one in the morning, ringing my sister-in-law, saying, "I'm going in now. If anything happens, ring the guards, ring the guards." And I lived. Uh, near Clunlu in County Sligo at the time, and um, and uh, yeah, I, I I would have left it for my own security reason. But to be honest, nobody wanted to know. 
Like I mean, there was a complete madness because um, even the the the, the national the newspapers, the media, um, there was it was open season, and I think there's a bit of a change now. I wonder how long it lasted. So I get a bit cynical, but um, mm. again, um, I, I think what's happening through social media um, and what happened with Pascal Donoghue, it it undermines um, the confidence. It undermines somebody's good name. And that is a recipe for disaster, and it's a downward mm. spiral. And um, but I want to say I have never been intimidated in uh, in 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 in, um, in the last uh, and indeed. Yeah. Uh, but so. when when the Karen Chorla's office issue a letter about wearing is it soft or comfortable shoes and considering getting personal alarms, do, do you sit up and take notice when you read communication like that? Or? Yeah, I think I, 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 I certainly the guards have uh, contacted me and they've asked, um, "Are we satisfied?" We are, and I have to pay a tribute to the guardy. You know, if there's ever any an issue, uh, they're they're certainly very very helpful. But um, you know, I, I think it's the same with a lot of professions now with the uh, with the church, with um, with teachers. With um, there's a lack of respect. But the problem is, is that when you kind of bring somebody's name down to a certain level people who you know they, they, they think they can just take away a good name or, or attack it but I have to say it hasn't happened um, in, okay. in Sligo Leitrim Alright are you ever worried about your security Mark McSharry Well I'm around politics all my life and at different times I have been threatened stone throwing stuff like that people attacking the house um, People throwing stones at you? Yeah yeah that happened uh, attacking the office and things like that Look it's a tough business um, I think that ministers and junior ministers uh, should have armed Gardaí the, the way they used to have in the in the um, 70s and 80s. Mm. Uh, that's not, and it was a race to the bottom, ironically, it was Fine Gael that did it, took away those drivers because they said they were perks and luxuries. It was never about that. It was about a deterrent and safety. I've never been a minister. It doesn't apply to me, but they do. And we've all seen instances... You know, Joan Burton was one that stands out. Uh, there are several instances where, where cars were attacked, where homes were attacked. And uh, in the United Kingdom, you've had, uh, uh, you've had ministers and, and MPs shot. Now, I'm not worried about myself as a TD or senators or councillors uh, in the main, but certainly the armed drivers for senior and junior ministers, I've, I believe, is a must. Beyond that, I think we're in a different world now than we were 40 years ago. So people have to be more aware, more self-aware, more aware of their security and so on. Uh, I, I'm not looking for any money or anything like that to increase my security, though you did have Deirdre, Councillor Deirdre Donnelly yeah, on yesterday, yesterday yeah. on the show, mm. a Dublin-based independent councillor. And she makes an excellent point about independents having to publish their address. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a very good point, very well made. Uh, and I think that from now on, uh, and it's bound to be easily done uh, with an electoral amendment bill or, or something like that, that uh, the address could be, you know, once somebody is an eligible and validated candidate uh, in the context of Sligo Leitrim, it could be care of the county registrar. Uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. uh, the court, Sligo Courthouse, Teeling Street, Sligo. And I think because people are entitled to that protection, and particularly women where, you know, there are yeah. increasing attacks on women, very much verbally on social media politically. Um, and uh, obviously uh, we have others who, had, who have had uh, physical attacks. And I think that that's a very good suggestion by Councillor Donnelly and one I'd support. Yeah. Frank. Look, I think uh, Mark is right. We we are all there to cut and trust the politics. And look, it's sometimes banter. But the one place that uh, there's a line that I will draw, if it goes to my family, um, that's when the guards will be called. 
Um, and uh, you know, so I. Uh, but people don't realise that there is a line, and um, uh, that's that's where I have said if it, if it goes there, you know, I've um, I've had my car kicked um, once or twice. <laughs> it was Why worth the car kicked? It, it was yeah. it was worth two thousand euros. I, it's, um, uh, but um, look, yeah. uh, um, it's a cut and trust of politics. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I think that you know, people in positions of influence. And people in positions of responsibility have have um, let's say put their head in the sand and said, "Well, it serves yeah. them right" or something like that. And I think that's well, uh, yeah, that's yeah, a race yeah, to the bottom. Hear Mark saying that not only senior but junior ministers should should have uh, armed uh, armed guard of protection. Did, did you ever feel like you needed such protection when you were a junior minister? No, d- d- no, not at all. Um, mm. And I was the um, the minister of national drug strategy. Um, but everybody I met. Um, uh, was absolutely brilliant and um, no I, I didn't feel threatened w- one bit um, as a yeah. minister uh, Lots and lots of texts coming in I don't have time to get around to them at all but uh, Martina's been on to say can you just say to both deputies Frank and Mark uh, to thank you for all you do and say you both keep the voice for Sligo Leitrim and the North West alive politics is a thankless job who would do it question mark uh, and that's an interesting it is an interesting question and I might end up with that uh, response to that very, very shortly. But I just want to ask you in relation to the, the, the general... Like you can confirm, you confirmed if there had been any doubt, Mark McSherry, that you will stand in the next general election. Isn't that yeah, right? That's the intention, absolutely. As an independent candidate? Yes. Yeah. No way back, so do you think? No. Mm. Irreconcilable differences, isn't that what they say in the American uh, sitcoms when there's a divorce? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but sometimes if there's a different partner, it might be different. So under a new leader, perhaps? No, no uh, look, the, 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 the focus, uh, and I said this last week, the only focus is on the representation here. One of the things that has destroyed politics, not just in Fianna Fáil, but in a lot of parties, you know, the best of people, like that lady said, you know, have the privilege of entering politics. They're, they're, they, they go in with good intentions, good ideals, and they set out to pursue them. But in early course, in my 21 years' experience... Uh, that is replaced by the blind pursuit of personal position. I got to get to be a junior minister or a minister or a party leader or a Taoiseach. And that's where it all falls apart. And, you know, some people don't have a price. It's about integrity. It's about pursuing what's right. Uh, and we see that. I mean, and look, to go back to Hall Martin, and of course everyone will say, I have an axe to grind with Hall Martin. I know him mm. for 32 years, so I suppose I watched the change in him. You know, so look at the due process for Pascal compared to Cowan or Phil Hogan. Yeah. You know, it's a fluid situation where you stay in power at every cost, at all costs. Mm. And um, but, but your beef you know, is and there your are beef. other basic things like Fianna Fáil used to be a Republican party that wanted a united Ireland. Now it's a kind of quasi appeasement Chamberlain-esque approach with a shared island. We used to stand up for the people in the terraces, the small farmers, the small business. All of those have been abandoned. And the backbenchers, in fairness to them, and good luck to whoever runs for Fianna Fáil in the next election, here's what they have to look forward to. They'll have the Taoiseach or the leader of the party's mobile number. And they'll probably have a great grow that they're able to ring and he'll answer it. But their job will be to sell tickets for the annual draw. End of story. So a change of leader isn't... That's not the only condition under which you would even consider going back. It's deeper than that, you're saying. The whole well, ethos it is deeper than that. And I mean, and apart from three or four people, 
in the recent debacle about this complaint and all of the rest of it that was going on. You know, 39 people sat on their hands. So that's the culture that, that exists within Fianna Fáil, and it's not one I aspire to because it lacks integrity. Well, considering it lacks the focus that it once had on the basic job at hand, and that's the representation of the people being a pliable organisation that's representative of policy that emanates from the ground up. OK, considering, though, the, the, the long history you have uh, with the Fianna Fáil party and, and members of your family before that, it, it, will it not be very difficult for you to put your name down on the ballot paper? in opposition, uh, campaigning against Fianna Fáil I didn't say any of these decisions were easy. And it certainly will be, no matter whom I would be running for, uh, um, uh, and it'll be independent anyway, uh, it'll be extremely difficult for me to get elected. Extremely difficult. And um, uh, so, so uh, um, uh, you know, if, if your blind pursuit in politics is ministerial office, yeah, get into the party, sell those tickets. And, you know, if you find yourself in the good graces of the leader of the day or sell the most tickets, maybe you'll get the nod. But that's not what drove me. Mm. I, I presume it's a given that you're running again, Absolutely. Uh, Frank. It's a great honour uh, to you know, be selected um, uh, in this constituency and this, you know, I have the passion I am very much enjoying politics and um, look, it'll be up to the members of Fine Gael or whatever convention will be on but Sligo the Northwest, things are happening here Sligo is the new Galway uh, the Atlantic Technological University does many exciting things many exciting people have moved to this, uh, to this area and uh, I see a great future and I want to be part of that future. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I, I know you're going to say it's not your decision, but two candidates, you would say, two candidates' strategy for, for Fine Gael, of course, we're, uh, we're of the opinion, I think we're all agreed maybe that South Donegal will be removed from this constituency by the next general election. We could, the, we could predict or we could uh, guess, but um, look, the, I believe there could be 10 to 19 extra seats uh, in uh, across the the country, yeah. um, the constituencies may change; they may not change, and we'll know that in July. But again, um, it's a great honour, it's a great privilege to represent the people of Sligo, Leitrim, from North Roscommon and South Donegal, and it's a great privilege to work. Okay, Mark, we've been in the Shannon now, Mark, since what two thousand and two. Together, and, um, well, in, in the Chamber of Commerce movement, I think for three yeah, or four years yeah. before that. Sure. So, so, so two candidates you feel, and I know you're going to say there's nothing to do with you. Yeah, I know your hands. Nothing are to do with me, I'm afraid. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I just want to go back to what that lady said in relation to it being a thankless job, and I, I'm just curious to know because, as you as you said, you both have uh, some commonality in relation to your involvement with various chambers of commerce. Um, you're involved in the auctioneering business, Mark McSharry. You're a former president of Sligo Chamber of Commerce. If you weren't in politics, what do you think you would be doing or what would you like to do away from politics? And I'm not suggesting you're not going to re-elect it. That's not why well, I ask. I, I, I mean, I'd love to be a rock star, um, you know, or one of the, you know. Um, it'd be definitely a different circus anyway, as opposed to this three-ring one. But it's very gracious of that person to say that. In yeah, yeah. Uh, But there are many rewards to being in politics, and nobody forced us into it, remember. Uh, and it is a great privilege. It can be infinitely frustration, uh, frustrating, as I'm sure it came across in, in both of our... Um, uh, and thank you for doing it. It doesn't happen uh, that often that a message like that would come in. Uh, but, uh, you know, I for one, and I'd say, Frank, I'm not in it for the thanks, you know. Uh, as, you know uh, and that's one of the reasons that it'll be very difficult for me to get elected the next time, as I always call it, as I see it. 
Okay, well, don't get too comfortable. That was one of the very few complimentary texts that came in in relation to you. But as as you won't be, you won't be surprised about that. You you were in business yourself. Yeah, I am. If you if you weren't a politician, uh, would would we back to business or what? What would you have liked to do with your life if you didn't go down the political route? I travelled around the world in the eighties, and I worked in Australia. And uh, back nineteen eighty five, I had to come back to to Ireland. My mother got sick, and I had to come back to run. As the youngest in the family, the business and it's where it was a multinational. We had it was a small news agents, um, but look, I employ thirty people before politics, and um, I tell everyone <laughs> I find I find politics easier now because you know um, to be an employer. Uh, but um, I I don't I would have loved to have um, been a, a, a professional footballer. <laughs> Not that I was any good, but I always dreamed. I suppose in school I was always dreaming of playing for Liverpool and. Um, uh, I should have spent much more time at the books and got a decent job, but um, it's a great honour to be involved in politics. It's a great honour. You meet some great people. And 99.9% of the people are absolutely great. And I just want to say one thing. I got a phone call outside uh, in the car and just before I came in, and a, a man who applied for... He, he didn't get it, but he just said, I want to thank you for all the work you did. And you know, that phone call, you would prefer if it was positive, but even then he was prepared to say thanks for all the work you did and there's so many people like that out there uh, middle ground middle Ireland um, that are you know they, they, they're they thankful uh, when they get sometimes what they deserve but then when they don't get something they understand that there is a system in place that's probably um, you know a, a, a criteria a limit a, a financial limit criteria that, and that, that phone call meant a lot to me today and that, that text there from that person Mm. I think that means a lot as well and sometimes um, uh, we're all human and uh, okay. it's nice so to... The, um, the, the Liverpool scouts were never down in the Boyle Celtic games then were they? You never saw your emerging talent. Yeah, they were at the Rovers game. I yeah. He I, just wasn't playing. I, I would have liked to play it for Sligo Rovers as well but just didn't have the talent. 